North Node. I can say that. I have had some sort of visceral experiences. It takes visceral experience, by the way. Love just aren't words, right? Love, like when you are in a loving relationship or friendship or with family or friends or intimate relationship, you are experiencing that love in every cell of your body. I will say that I don't think we can talk ourselves into loving ourselves. I don't, however, I know that in my own life, I had to go deep to have the experience of visceral, palpable love. Hi, I'm Paige Nolan. Welcome to I'll Meet You There, a place where heart-centered conversations are everything. Living what matters is the truest thing, and sharing the journey is the best. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to share this conversation with y'all today. It's about one of my favorite topics, if not the topic of our lives. This episode is all about love. When I decided I wanted to talk about love on this podcast, the first person who came to my mind is our guest today. She's a friend. She is a warm and loving light of a person, and her name is Marcy Cole. Marcy is a practicing holistic psychotherapist. She's been in practice for 30 years supporting individuals and couples, and she is an all-around advocate for well-being and community. You can find Marcy's voice in the articles she has written for Marie Shriver's Sunday paper, Goop, and the Huffington Post. She has also co-authored a book entitled Living Proof, Celebrating the Gifts That Come Wrapped in Sandpaper. Marcy has recently served as the wellness and professional development educator at the John Thomas Dye Independent School here in L.A., and she is the devoted founder of an online community called First Tuesday Global, which is how I got to know Marcy many years ago. First Tuesday has been going strong for 20 years. And when I first moved to LA, the First Tuesday meetings were held in person. And that's where I got to meet and connect with Marcy. First Tuesday is a community dedicated to creating opportunities for social connectivity, professional networking, and social service. And as a leader of this community, I know firsthand Marcy is generous, nurturing, curious, and present. It's great to connect with heart-centered women and hear wonderful speakers and, and hear the thought leaders that are brought into the first Tuesday Global meetings. And I love learning in this way. But as y'all know, with any group experience you've had, if the group isn't well-led, it just becomes a big waste of time. Marcy knows how to lead. She leads with her whole heart, her intelligence, her presence, and her true self. This conversation about love and how it has actually led Marcy in her life is well worth your time. In this episode, you're going to hear how love has shown up for Marcy as a main character in her life and how Marcy's attunement to that love has guided her through her professional life, her relationships, and through all the ways she contributes to the world. At the end of the episode, we land on the idea of self-love, which is a pretty big concept, but we talk about it in a way that offers some practical pathways that ground self-love in choice and in practice. And guess what? I loved this conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Yeah, honey, I think we're good. I'm yeah. looking out on this beautiful tree in the sky and your face. Yeah. It's I good. Love it. So good. Well, I'm so glad to be here with you. It's actually a rainy day in Los Angeles. I'm all cozy and it's the perfect day to talk about love. And that is what I associate with you the most. So I want to devote 
our time today to love. And I want you to share your lessons and your journey in love. And I want to share with my community that they already know this, and you probably already know this too from following my work, but I really believe that is the whole point, is to learn how to give and receive love. I think love is why we're here. I think love is the reason we're still here, even with all of our discord, even with all of the violence and the terrible things that happen. If love wasn't the biggest thing, if it wasn't the most important thing, we wouldn't still be here. And so knowing that that's my framework, I could say, I could make the argument everyone's life is about love. But when I think about you and your life and your work and meeting you 17 years ago that we were just laughing about, you know, knowing you all these years and tracking you, you really have devoted your personal and professional life to love. So I want to start with where that all started, the origin stories. What were your first lessons about love? As a little girl, did you learn that kind of approach to life from your family of origin, from your parents? Or is that something over time that you have delved into? And if so, I'm curious about what the pull was, what the tug to love was. Such a beautiful question. Well, first of all, let me just back up and say thank you to you, Paige, because the feeling is mutual. And to have someone come to you and say, I think your life's been about love and you emanate love. It's like, that's pretty much the highest Mm. compliment ever, because the truth is, I agree with you that we are all made of love, even if it didn't seem that way or feel that way. I do believe that we are. And that at the end of the day, I I could not agree more that at the end of this journey in this body, in this lifetime, if we can say I loved well and was loved beautifully, that's even if it's one person or one love or a lot, that's everything. And it's never too late to get there. And so that line, which I love about like, well, actually, it's sort of like when we veer off of that knowing, what would love say? Yes. What would love say? We don't even have to associate it to a person or what we heard because a lot of people didn't hear it. But if we can imagine the energy and the frequency of love, what would it say? What would it do? What would love do? So thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Me too. To all of that. Yeah. And it's my favorite topic. How could it not be? And you're one of my favorite people. So I'm just thrilled to be with you as well. In terms of your question about where did this access for me personally come from? I mean, there's that whole sort of talk about nature or nurture. And so if I think back to my own life experience when I was young, the nature part was that I was born very sensitive. So we found a cassette tape. Yes. Now you know how old I am. Cassette tape, everybody. Like, oh my God, I was probably in my 20s when I found this, you know, at my parents' home and I played it and I was the baby of many, many years. So I came in when I had a sister that was 10, 12 and a brother that was 14. So I found this cassette when, where we were all interviewed. My father was playing and just saying, okay, you know, interviewing everyone. And my 17 year old sister, who was like pretending like she was a DJ, but like riffing on everybody and saying, I'm going to college and I will be so happy to, you know, leave my sister, this 15-year-old sister. She's such an immature little brat. I remember this line so well. And, but I'll miss my little sister Marcy so yeah. much. No, Okay. She's yeah. playing. Five minutes later, I get on as a five-year-old yeah. 
And I say, because I don't know the difference between joking around and it being serious. So I was like, I don't like it when my sister, this sister's mean to this sister. She'll feel upset. And I remember hearing that going, oh, my God, like my sort of innate essence as sort of a harm, you know, sensitive being and kind of harmonizer. I just wanted everyone to love each other. And when there was strife or when there was discord and people were fighting, I just didn't understand. I can totally relate to that. Yes. Yes. I have this closet. My listeners and people who have worked with me online know that this closet behind me is full of journals because I reference it a lot in my writing. And if I'm online, I'm often in this position. And there's like a hundred journals in there from when I was a child. And the earliest evidence of just being so curious about love, so sensitive to people not getting along. I mean, really young, like what you're describing, you know, and wanting people to get along and feeling so confused and perplexed why there's war. I mean, like real big thoughts, real young. And as a former teacher and just tuned into people like you are, you can see this in children. You know, when you work with children, you do see people who are, you know, specifically tuned in and empathic in that way. Yes. I have a friend who has two kids and one kid had a hard time with empathy. So they were focusing a lot on like, imagine what that would feel like and the golden rule. And the other kid, she'd look at a kid crying and she'd cry. I mean, she couldn't separate herself. So they were working on the sort of the boundaries of having compassion, but not internalizing it. And so, yeah, we do come in with a constitution. And I, so that's part of it, I think. And in terms of the nurture part, I was really blessed. I just was. Again, I was the baby. I was sort of cradled in love. And sometimes I feel like I got the best piece of the pie because when my parents had babies early, they were babies themselves, literally. I mean, and in those days, they didn't have parent education and parent. So by the time I came around, they were a bit older, a bit wiser. And so I received a lot of effusive expressions of love. There was a lot of tactile touch. There was a lot of words. There was a lot of play. My mom was very tactile. My father was very playful. So, you know, and plus I was very loved by my siblings because I didn't have, I didn't, in those days, I didn't, there wasn't like sibling rivalry stuff. I was the baby. So everybody was loving on the baby. So I really was really fortunate. And so when I turned 50, I had, oh, Paige, I wish you were in that world. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really great. But I was in LA and there were like, I think 50 women. I mean, it was like, and someone's like, how do you have this level of connection with this many people? And I literally, I said out loud something like 90% credit to my folks. Yes. I'm really. And so the people, I have to tell you, I'm in such awe. I'll wrap with this part of this question, which is that I'm in such awe of my clients and my friends and the people I know I've been able to cross paths with that did not receive this kind of hands-on holding literally and figuratively because when we talk about self-made humans, you know, and so when they didn't receive that sort of early download of palpable expressed love, I'm in such awe of it. I'm so inspired by it. And it just shows us though that we're sort of, we're wired to love as humans. We're wired. We lose our way because then fight or flight and sort of protection comes up when we get wounded, but we can always rewire and return to that. I think about that so much with my parents because I say to them, 
in terms of reflecting about my own parenting, now I have three teenagers in the home. I feel really good mm-hmm. about my ability to parent and my ability to show love and talk about love and teach love in my nuclear family. But when I think about what they did, because their models of love were not as strong as they modeled love for me. So my mom had a neglectful mom. Yes. My dad's dad was hard on him. They both had influences. My mom's father was loving and my dad's mother. So they had different messages from the mom and the dad, my grandparents. But both of them are exponentially, I think, more skilled at communicating love and teaching love than was modeled to them. And so I think in these, this Mm -hmm. part of my life, as I'm in the middle of my life and now they're older, that my dad's 80 and my mom is 79. I'm so sure to communicate that to them. You know, like I'll take when they tell me I'm a good parent, I'm like, I'll take it. Thank you. Everybody loves to get validated yeah. for their parenting efforts because yes. it's a full time, you yes. know, relentless kind of position that you're in. But then I say back to yeah. them, but what they did and how much more loving they were, I think is remarkable. So I really relate to that. I have more and more compassion for people who did not have the loving caregivers that I had. Yeah. That's right. And then, of course, if they choose to sort of stay awake to that and really directly put attention toward their own healing of that. And then if they, you know, there's the healing process and then there's the awakening process and the awakening takes you to a whole nother level of appreciation when you did not receive it, which is not easy. But boy, when people get there and they just simply accept what was and what is and they you and they realize that part of who I am today is part of the fabric and they're very mindful of what they want to emulate and what they don't and how they want to change intergenerational pattern. Right. That's epic. Oh my gosh. Did you know that you were going to be in along this path of the healing arts, psychotherapy, helping people? Did you know that early on because you were so naturally tuned into people's pain and love and empathizing? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that. It's not like I knew I'm going to be a therapist uh, or I'm going to be in the mental health well-being field. But when you look back, it all makes sense, right? I had, oh, for sure, kids, you know, friends coming to me and trusting me. And my parents, literally, I would, my parents had a 74 epic love affair, a year love affair, but it went through its, but it went through its twists and turns and pretty much on my time because They went through their stuff when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And I would literally be 12 and take my mom in one room, talk to her, take my dad in the other room, talk to him, bring it together. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s, Paige, that I was in my master's program. You had to do counseling with one of the adjunct, whatever. And I was, and she said, do you know how inappropriate that was? (laughs) But at the time I was like, well, I'm glad that, you know, it can be helpful. But the truth is it wasn't really, but. Many people in the help and healing field had have history and just, again, because it's part of our constitution, yes. just being that out in the world from the time we're yeah. little and wanting people to feel better yes. when they're hurting and wanting to. Mm-hmm, so when you were in sure, your late yeah. 20s, was it an obvious choice to pursue that kind of graduate work? Or did you have an aha moment? Or No. You... Yeah. Okay. So look, you know, when those t- times in life where you're just so presented with a person, place, opportunity, and it's just an automatic, Yeah, I'm doing that. I literally didn't see it coming. I always had a pretty incredible career in television, media sales in my yeah. 20s. 
And I had a roommate in Chicago who came through like just to meet to see if we wanted to room together. And I'm like, what are you up to? And she said, I'm getting a two-year degree and getting my master's in clinical social work. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> all I knew was like a PhD option. And I wasn't interested in going back to school all those years at that point. I said, what's that? And she goes, oh, yeah, look, this university, two years, and you know, then you do this. Done. I was literally in my manager's yeah. office the next day and saying, I really want to go so to school. Cool. So I did. And he said, okay. But I never thought that he, he I, I don't think he ever thought I would right. pursue it. And of course, I did go back for a doctorate, but that's just because I loved what I was doing and studying and wanted to learn more. But yeah, you have those moments that when things are in alignment, when people, places, things, yeah. opportunities are in alignment, there's an automatic yes, yeah. right? Even And oftentimes we don't right. see it coming. Absolutely. We don't, yeah. How did mm -hmm. you move into that holistic mm -hmm. space? Because when I first met you with First Tuesday Global years ago, that was something that you yeah. really opened my eyes to is this intersection of psychology and spirituality. So where I was coming from was more traditional psychology. You know, I thought, oh, if I became a therapist, it would just be diagnosing. And, you know, I had a kind of a narrow view of that profession. And but I was always interested mm -hmm. in psychology and helping. I just couldn't see where I could fit into it. And being a part of that group and having access to the speakers that you would bring in and you were really yeah. standing with a flag, I felt like, at that crossroads of psychology and spirituality mm. in a way that I hadn't seen before mm. and in a way that I feel like is now way mm. more common to see. And so was there, yeah. did that come from the conversations that you had with clients where you were starting to realize? Because traditionally, psychotherapy isn't about love. It's hard to study love. You know, I think as we've gotten into positive psychology and understanding thriving and well-being, we're now talking about it. But yeah. 20, 30 years ago, love wasn't really, yeah. that wasn't celebrated in the therapy world as something to study or quantify. Yeah. First of all, it's so cool to hear you say this because when we're busy being ourselves yeah. and we're just kind of doing what we do and naturally drawn to what we're drawn to and to share, we don't even know how it's landing for people. Yeah. I didn't realize the events that I was producing and the people that were speaking at those events had an impact on your psychology at the time of going, yeah. oh, I, really? And that these were two, that all of this was being integrated. Look, I remember. I went to Northwestern and freshman year. Yeah. So I'm 17 because I went to college okay. young. 17. And I learned about, do you know who Leo Bascalia is? I know is? the name, but I don't know the work. So Leo, so Leo Bascalia was a professor at the University of Southern California teaching Love 1A. Mm, maybe that's why okay? it's a, in the back and, of my mind name because I was always tuned into people who were having this conversation that you really started having. Well, so was I. So I'm like blown away by this man. And I used to fantasize, gosh, what if from kindergarten on, children yeah. were taught about how to love, how to communicate, how to love themselves, how to have courageous conversations, all these kinds of things. What if kids were taught at that young age, yeah. right? And here's this man teaching in a college. And by the way, of course, it had a wait list. Yeah. So people might have been saying, I'm sending my kid to college and they're taking a class called Love 1A. The man made it, his mark. He was such a beautiful being. And he wrote a book called Just Love, yeah. the classic and other books. And I would literally bring my friends in from the hallway going, listen to this. SPBF TV. I mean, listen to what he's talking about. So I was drawn to that kind of content. Fast forward when I was doing my training. Yeah. I remember being at an agency 
And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just instinctively doing whatever. I wasn't trying to follow notes. And I went to, and the supervisor was a lovely woman, but she was very kind of rigid and kind of stoic. Okay. And I'm telling her, you know, you have to tell her exactly what's happening in the room and what he said, she said, and what you said and what happened. And she's like, how do you know this? And I'm like, know what? And she's like, well, how did you know to, she thought I was going to be talking about some book or whatever. This goes back to constitution, who we are and how we show up and express ourselves in the world. And so I said, I don't know. It's natural. I just did. And so it's natural. And that's when we know we're, we are doing, we're doing what we're meant to do. But then when I went back for a doctorate. How long had you been in practice? I went back for a doctorate. Oh, man. I think I was, how I know this, I think about boyfriends. Yeah, Who good. was the boyfriend at the time? Who was the boyfriend well, at, at my at doctoral least memorable dissertation party? Remembering them. So. Yeah, for, oh, <laughs> 100%. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, we'll get to that maybe. <laughs> that's a whole, whole, that's a whole, sh- a br- that's a whole retreat conversation. Okay, so I would say I was around 30. Okay, three, so you had been in like practice. That, which is yeah, an inter- You had enough touch points. I've been in practice yeah. for a few years. Yeah, I did. But oh gosh, I will share this with you too. I'm just getting yeah. flashes as you're asking me this. When my first job out of my master's program was working at a community mental health clinic, working with the chronically mentally ill, that's yeah. what they called them. And the criteria is that you had to have been psychiatrically hospitalized at least one night. Well, guess what? I learned so much about love on that during those years. I ended up making zero, almost zero money being there for five years because it was such a rich experience. But these people, Paige, that were, I remember one woman was referred to me. She said, well, she won't be able to tolerate more than five minutes. She's paranoid, schizophrenic with body dysmorphic disorder. She thinks she looks like a monster. All this kind of stuff. It's huge trauma. Fast forward, we worked together for four and a half yeah. years. That woman was in my office every week for 45 wow. minutes. And guess what? When I left, you know, I was holding it together, but she was one person when I said goodbye and I was tearful. Yeah. And she goes, is it me? Is it me? Like yeah. she thought it was something she's wrong. It's like, no, I said, I'm going to miss you. I so cherish our time together. And she gives me this, like this card and this gift. And she walks down the hall and she looks back. And I'm a mess. By yeah. this point, I am just drenched. I open the gift and it's, I forgot the musician's name. She's a French woman. And it's a CD of love songs. Oh, wow. Beautiful. They're all love yeah. songs. Okay. Because that's what that it was. That was the energy. We that had was that the together. Yeah. And it's so healing. Yeah. It's so. It's what really ultimately heals anybody, anytime, for any reason. It's always love. It's just hard to right. talk about it. And te- I think we're getting it better. I think we are moving towards getting more explicit about it and teaching it. But it's really an energy. I find that it's an energy. And if you can come open-hearted, it, people feel it, people heal from it, and it's the most important thing. Yes, for sure. I mean... When you talk about energy, my first, when I was in my doctoral program, my first inclination was to do a dissertation topic on the experience of spirituality and mental yeah. health. Like they looked at me like I had. Right. And by the way, now you'd get approved and they, that's all we want to study right now. <laughs> approved. It would be like, yeah, what's yeah. new? Like now it's kind of like, now it's totally mainstream. Exactly. So 
I changed my dissertation to the experience of never married women between the ages of 29 and 39, the desire of marriage and children, which was a a wonderful sort of pursuit as well. But then I come to L.A. in 2005 and it's every yeah, I felt like everyone's speaking my language is speaking my heart language, really. And I felt very at home. I did in Chicago, too, but L.A. was a whole nother level. And of course, time and evolution. And then, yeah, this is now I mean, the School of Spiritual Psychology in Santa Monica. I was like, wait, what? I would have gone there instead of getting a Ph.D., I think. If I had, I known. So I don't even remember what the question was, but bottom line is, well, we were talking about your clients, but now I'm interested because you come to LA in 2005, you have your PhD, you've had this private practice. I want to understand about how love, how you have felt love through community and building community, because that's when I met you was 2005. So you must have just started first Tuesday Global or maybe 2006, because I had just been, I was new to LA. And I felt a deep sense of love in that community and just the way that you would open up and make every speaker feel like the best thing ever, just very present. That's what I felt from you leading us is your presence and your intention and how authentic you were in starting and leading us in that conversation, which like to my point earlier, really impacted me. It impacted my career path. It impacted my just engagement with this topic that I love so much because no one had been talking about it in the way that I felt like you were talking about it then. Oh, I'm so glad, Paige. That's just beautiful. This is an example of when we love or when we have some even random act of kindness out there in the world. We never know where it's going to land and how people are going to remember and how it's going to impact us. Our commitment to ourselves is just to show up as we are. And when we do, your question about community, I didn't think of it. Like, just yeah. like I didn't think of it as, oh, I'm going to create a community. That was never, it was not even, again, not yeah. even on my radar. It was coming naturally. I just brought women together in Chicago in living rooms. My mother would say, can you take $5 at the door? <laughs> I'd be like, no, it's not about the money. And it was just because I love to do it outside of my social life with good friends, outside of my office time with clients. I just thought it would be great. This is literally when the internet was starting to boom. So I was literally by hand sending emails. You sent me an email. Hey, does anyone know a plumber? I'm sending it out to the group. Does anyone know a plumber? From Paige, you know, it was that basic. It was that grassroots Mm -hmm. organic. Okay. So then when I moved to LA, someone who had been a part of it in Chicago said, Hey, can you start a first, you know, first Tuesday here? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'll just... I put out when I moved, I'm like, who knows fabulous people yeah. in an email to a bunch of people. And three of my dearest friends in LA came from that friend yeah. of a friend of somebody who opened their doors and hearts to me and we became dear friends. And I just, so she said, okay, invite a friend. We have 20 women in a room. That's how it started in the yeah. Valley in LA, someone's house. Fast forward, I had to monetize everything because I didn't initially recognize my doctorate in the state of California, even though it was an accredited institution. So I had to kind of So everyone's like, listen, you really should monetize this. You're putting a lot of heart and Mm -hmm. time into it. So then we had a membership and then it morphed into big name speakers and influencers coming and wanting to have more visibility. So that's how it happened. Now that said, sort of the idea of the archetype. So we all have our archetypal things that run through us that are very integral and very visceral and very primal to our nature. One of mine is connector. It just is. There's so much I don't know how to do, and I feel like they're speaking French, and I'm yeah, like, I feel like I'm, me too. I, I'm in a foreign <laughs> like land. Like Excel. Right? <laughs> right? 
Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Spatial yeah, you stuff. You and I are and never going to partner oh, on a project that requires no, Excel no. without a third person. That's right. Right. Hey, we might not be the yin yeah. to our yang because we might be like yeah. yang and yang and yin and yang. <laughs> we'll just add on yeah. to the team and fill in where we need it. But anyway, I just, I came. So it just, I love it. I love, I don't think I love anything yeah. more than introducing something I love to someone else or someone I love to somebody else and then they love each other and then it's expands, right? So have you leaned on that community through your own personal hard times and your personal hardships? That's a great question. I wasn't aware of that mm -hmm. consciously. And then a couple times, one was when I launched a nonprofit. I wanted children. I wasn't able to have mm -hmm. children. There was this kind of silent grief that was going on. And I was noticing it with clients and friends. And then I just, and then I was like, well, wow, there's this private pain going on for women who wanted children and destiny did not direct them uh -huh. in that direction, right? And then there's 153 million orphans in the world that, that need, are looking for love. And so I launched this nonprofit. And when I announced mm -hmm. it, actually, I announced it, I think, you know, yeah. Dr. Sue Mortar, yeah. it was the first time she came. I usually had 20 minute like breakout times where people can yeah. connect at the events. And this time I'm like, you guys, I'm going to be taking up the space tonight on this one. It was about harvesting and manifesting in the fall. And I showed this video and I was so nervous yeah. that like my community would feel and they all stood up wow. and they like were like, yes, we're with you. And I remember feeling so moved. And then the other time is when I decided to end my last marriage and we had this kind of like these really beautiful fireside chats where we would have like Sunday brunches yes. on a quarterly basis. And they were very intimate. Mm -hmm. It was my favorite thing. And I just showed up to one of them. I've tried to go to all of them, but someone else would host. And I just kind of burst into tears. It was like I was going through the tunnel yeah. and I was emotional. I was like, well, this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going. I'm not worried about the future, but yeah. it's like dark night of the soul times. And they were so, it they was, showed up it for was you. really beautiful. Yeah, them, for yeah. sure. And so, yes, I mean, listen, you cannot be a parent yeah. that doesn't, I just heard a story of, you know, a parent that's going through a midlife stuff and the teenage girl is now coming of age. Yeah. They're both coming of age, but it's the first time in her life that her mother needs yes. her. Yeah. Okay. So what goes around comes around and now she's holding space for yeah. her mom who's been doing the same for her her whole life. And I felt that way in community yeah. for sure. It's so beautiful. What do you feel like that experience of the nonprofit connecting the children, did that have a, did that illuminate you even further about the universal love? You and I have talked about love with a little L and oh, then yeah. love with a capital L, mm -hmm. you know, this energy of love. Mm -hmm. To me, when you describe that, and I was a part of that, you know, I remember you announcing that and getting more involved in that. It seems to me like mm -hmm. an even elevated curiosity or expression or experience of love than just the boyfriends, like just understanding what it's all about. Is that how you felt like you engaged with it? Did it teach you love's wisdom in a different way? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, look, when I think about love, I think it's almost like a, like the circular motion, all these different circles of its expression. Yeah. It's a great There's way so to say many it. different ways yes. it expresses itself. Yes. And it's not necessarily like a ladder. It's more, I like that you used a circle. No. Yes, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And so I remember going to Peru and we connected with this group home for orphan and abandoned kids. And 
oh, I'm driving my car, I'm listening to the Spanish, you know, CDs, trying to learn this language so badly, wanting my girlfriend sends me a bunch of CDs. I get there (laughs) and the first night, I just, it's gone. Like every Spanish (laughs) word in my brain was just mush. I'm like, oh, please, can you translate this? Anyway, two weeks later, you know, I'm in love with these children and there was this love connection and it had nothing to do with language. Yeah. Nothing. It was all conveyed through eyes and expression and touch yeah. and intention. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was frustrating not being able to like talk to them sure. and go deeper in that way. But honestly, yeah, it wasn't necessary for that bond mm-hmm. to happen, you know? And those kids will always be in my heart, yeah. honestly. You know? And then listen, First Tuesday, it might have been before, I don't know if it was we were doing this. It might have been before you yeah. you showed up, Paige. To the community, we had first Tuesday Circle of Giving, where we had these home makeovers. We'd find these families in the oh, community, wow. and once a year, we would do these massive home yeah. makeovers that were just extraordinary. And that was very humbling. I mean, to this day, you know, I was talking to Michael, my fiance, Michael Love, that's in my life now, and just the other night about how I wasn't great at like keeping in touch right. with everyone. It's just life has so much, but. One of the moms is like, you're my angel. I'm like, you're my angel because I can't get over her. I cannot get over her with like almost such little resources. The love this woman holds in her heart for her five kids, what she wasn't able to endure takes my breath away, really. So So as you're exploring that expression of love, what's happening in your romantic life at the time? Like, were you fulfilled by these pursuits or were you still feeling like, I don't know the timeline of if you were married at that time or if you were still single. Which time? Which one are we talking about? The time? As you're talking about launching the nonprofit with Simamas. Yeah. And you are got a thriving community around you. Yeah. Where does the romantic yeah. love so, fit um, into? And the reason I'm asking is because there's always people in my community who, who are either going through a divorce or maybe haven't been married yet that are really wrestling with this idea of having a personal experience of romantic love and that intimacy with one other partner versus accessing like universal love. Because you know how when you're searching for romantic love and someone says, well, just believe in love, love is everywhere. And you're like, no, I really want a partner. You know, like you'll hear that from clients or conversate or friends. And so I'm wondering for you personally, where along this spectrum of fulfillment in terms of this expression that you talk about that's broader and beyond borders and beyond language. But for you romantically, that expression of love, when did that come about in your life and how have you experienced that part of your life? Oh man, that's also a retreat. (laughs) Together, let's do it, Paige. Listen, I did not have a life of the traditional trajectory that most people expect or are told to expect or are told to follow or want in their heart, which was, you know, this age. And then here, I knew I was a heterosexual yeah. being. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get married to a boy and man, and then I'm yeah. going to have kids. And then I'm going to, and my life did not go that way. I had six love affairs, I would say, from the time it was yeah. like puppy love, but that was sure. real too, oh, yeah. I will say. Oh my gosh, pure, pure. Six loves before I met my love, Michael. And it's interesting when you talk about First of all, your question for the women that are listening, this whole idea of I want a partner and yes, I want to always access universal. It's not either. It's both. 
Because the truth is, I really do believe most people, like what you were saying in the beginning of our discussion today, we want to love, love, and be loved. And one of the expressions of love, just one, is romantic love. And even people that are defended against it, deep down all the layers, most people, I think we're wired to have intimacy emotional, physical, sexual. Yeah. It's just we're wired that way. And so there's a lot of loneliness yes. going on, particularly now in the world. Yeah. It's gotten really more intense. Of course, it's always been there, but the pandemic yeah. and then this, you know, I think people are feeling their at times isolation yeah. more than ever. So I will say that there's a thing in psychology called sublimation mm-hmm. where you transfer a pain point into something productive mm-hmm. and positive. And my first husband, Henry, I credit him for my PhD because I oh. called it my intellectual yeah. distraction. <laughs> if we were happy and I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I would have been having babies and we would yeah. have been fixing up a sweet home and that would have been that. But I was, threw myself into a doctoral program. Yeah. I was like, I don't have time. And that's why I didn't make the decision of that marriage for five years as opposed to one year when it was super yeah. clear for me. Henry and I are very dear friends to this day. So, but, you know, back then, I think, thank you, Henry, for my PhD. And then in my Los Angeles days, I wasn't able to get pregnant. So I had that going on. My marriage was a really sweet marriage with a beautiful man. And we had real love between us. But it was not going in the direction I needed it to go to have a strong enough foundation for partnership, for lifetime partnership. And so that level of heartbreak, little by little, that was going on when First Tuesday was blowing up and Mama was born, it was, that was going on in the background, both of those things. So sublimation, we take some of that love that we want to experience and we just go, okay, where can it be expressed? And again, I wasn't conscious of that, by the way, at the time. Do you think people ever can be conscious in the moment? Because I find that too. I find my understanding is always well after the fact and you've reflected. And for me, it's journaling, you know, really thinking and journaling. Writing is my, you know, way to understanding because you see people in real time struggling for understanding. I do too. It's hard to, as conscious as we want to believe we are, because we've devoted our life to helping other people elevate their consciousness. I always wonder, like, Could it have been any different, you know, or did you need, you know, is that possible? I don't even know if you would have understood how it all hung together because you're just doing it. You're just getting through the pain and you're just getting through the positive parts too. That's right. Sometimes we're just needing to get through it, to get over the bridge and then to have hindsight and reflective hindsight and say, wow, that's what I did with part of that pain. I had to go direct and part of it got transferred in this other direction in order to make the most of my life and keep going. I will share this. One of the moments that was very palpable for me, and this is about this, I think I've never thought about it like this until this moment with you. But when I decided I needed to end, basically those six romances, Mm -hmm. I basically ended each one, not because I didn't try, not because I bailed that's not who I am, but because I just, and it's heartbreaking on yes. the way down. It's heartbreaking. You're like, oh. And when I realized I needed to set myself free from my last marriage and move on while staying connected to him, we're still very connected yeah. as well. The only, when I was going through that dark night, because again, 
as something's breaking apart, it's we're yes. grieving. We're grieving. Absolutely. Sometimes people are devastated. We can't see our yeah. future yet. We can't see anything yet. It's black and then it's kind of just blank. And then you're like, where's where am I going? I thought it was going this direction. Where am I? It's hard. It's scary. It's painful. But one when I was going through the but I was able to do it kind of ex, in an accelerated yeah. way because I think of all the personal work, but I was in it for that period of time. One thing, Paige, that gave me palpable yeah. comfort, you won't even believe, was thinking about considering donating a kidney. Really? How did that even? A friend, oh, of mine a friend needed had, one? No. It was, I heard uh, there was one man who had experienced it and he would always talk about yeah. it. And then there's this woman that came with me on know? the group tour to yeah. Peru, this lovely young yeah. woman, by the way, 30s. Yeah. And she decides to just donate a kidney. Wow. And I, that came through. And I'm like, I need to do that. I want to do that. And then I'm telling some people close to my life, I'm going to donate a kidney. But the point is, it's the yeah. thought of giving part of my body to someone else yeah. in need, which is called love, yeah. in a different form, was the only thing that gave me and relief strength. when I was yes. heartbroken yes. over having to let go of a love over here. I was like, well, what if yeah. I'm just sharing that as a moment in time now. So I just remember teaching me so much about the power of giving, yeah. but in the, even the idea of giving, which I didn't end up giving in yeah. that way, but just the idea of giving, I received yeah. something even with just the yeah. idea. That's really powerful. I mean, it's so it, yeah. true. Yeah. I have I had know. that experience with anxiety, so I'll help my clients with anxiety. I haven't had a lot of personal experience with depression, but I really do understand anxiety personally. And I have mm -hmm. had this experience for myself, but then I've also read about it, that if you have anxiety in situations where you can help someone, for example, on an airplane, if you are anxious because mm -hmm. you're on the airplane and you feel trapped, which is part of my certain makeup of anxieties feeling trapped, yeah, I will look around the airplane and see who I can help. And I was doing that just naturally before I read about it. And then I've read that it's a very popular way that people can then tap their own competence. Because then you think, well, I have the power, yes. which anxiety is the opposite of feeling powerful. It's feeling powerless. Right. And I just think that's right. what you're saying, too. It's like moving that point of focus yes. to where can I give? Where can I, you that's know, right. actively engage love? Give love. Yes, yes. It really yes. helps. Yeah. And engages it even a better word. It's a beautiful way to put it. It's like the Maya Angelou comment when she said so beautifully, she has so many jewels. But when she said, giving liberates the soul yeah. of the giver. And that's right. That Giving is one of the languages yeah. of love. And receiving is one of the languages yeah. of love, right? It goes both ways. Sometimes as women, we forget about the receiving piece. But boy, do, when we get to that, yeah. Then we're at a whole new level yeah. of understanding. I still have to work on that a so lot. I'm sure people listening have to work on that a lot, receiving. I think that's a whole, that's another podcast, <laughs> just that. Well, yeah, but let me speak yeah. this out loud because I thought it was so beautiful. Another moment in time that I was struck, I was hearing Sonia Choquette speak at a bookstore in yeah. Chicago many years ago, and she was talking about the chakras in the body and the four chakras love, the capacity for us to love and be loved, for us to open our heart, to give love and receive love and express love. And she said, I'll never forget it. I was, and because at that point, I probably, it was definitely not very yeah. balanced between what I was giving and what I was asking for, open to, receptive to, receiving. And she said, 
when you can receive what you give is when you really know what love mm. is all about. Beautiful. And I remember it hitting me like a two yeah. by four. I was like, oh, okay. When I, and I remember like I'm writing it down, like, okay, I have to remember that for life. Yeah. Because it's true. When you, you know, and how many times do, you know, does somebody try to help us? We're like, no, we got right. it. I'm good. And, or we don't want to let somebody know that we also have needs and we also have dependency needs and we also have reliance needs and we also could use a helping yeah. hand. Oh boy. But when we allow our hearts, to, that's why with clients, honestly, Paige, and maybe you feel, I'm sure you felt this way too with everyone that you worked with. I'm so also in awe and inspired all the time with the beauty of a vulnerable yeah. heart, which is really just an open yeah. heart, you know, that a capacity just to be open and say, I am here to receive support yeah. and invest in myself. I mean, that's talk about elevated. That's yeah. big stuff. Even when someone's suffering, yeah. that's, you know. I have a yeah. file on my computer of what clients say because I feel like everyone mm, is so intelligent when they're in their heart space, when, when they're sharing, For sure. when they're centered and their intention is to share about their inner life to feel better. They've shown up that way. They've decided to do that. It's so incredible yes. what comes out of people's mouths. Really. I love that you are doing that because honestly, you don't, you can't imagine how many times I've thought, damn, if I wrote notes yeah. from the time I've been in practice for 30 years, there would be yeah. a, definitely a New York Times bestseller because it's part of the human experience. Yeah. Everyone would be able to relate. I love that you're doing that and you've been doing that. And you're so right. You listen. If we sit back and listen and we're like, whoa. Back to the yeah. community mental health clinic when the stuff that would come out and I'd be like, yeah, okay, fine line between insanity Truly. and beyond Truly. wisdom. Wow. And I think mm -hmm. this idea that we have to go out to get guidance. Now, you and I both work as guides, so I really do think there's a value in that. And I love my profession and I'm so happy to be in this healing arts field. But there's so much wisdom within. Truly, we are, oh. we have our inner counselor. We have an inner wise one. You know, that when we're centered and we are intentional and quiet and still about it, you do have the answers on the inside. I think it's just sometimes we need support to reach mm -hmm. for them and to feel safe enough and trusting enough to hear those words and say, okay, I'm actually going to live by my own values, my own words. Because you know, I'm sure you've had this moment. I know I've had this moment where you wake up and you're like, whose life am I living? Like, what am I doing right now? I have those less and less as I get older and more conscious, but I certainly had those when I was younger. Yeah. I want to connect your yeah. sharing about receiving to Michael now, your big love of your life now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that part of your fulfillment and just the way that you feel so expanded in this current relationship has to do with your ability to receive? Oh, a hundred percent. Like when women are approaching 40 and 50, I'm like, congratulations, yeah. you're in for, ultimately, we all want to feel free, right? We all want to feel free to be who we are and be connected to the truth of who we are and to be comfortable in our skin, to trust that voice and those instincts and the intuition for that, to trust the inner guide that you're talking yeah. about. And I think that the older we get, as I'm talking about women, if we're paying attention and we're committed to our own personal growth, the more we get to the truth of who we are and the more 
we are not willing to betray yeah. ourselves anymore. And so, yes, we can look back and I can look back in my yeah. chapters with people and I could say, I was very much Marcy. However, I think I held this part yeah. back. I don't think I went, I was fully expressed here. I think I was either trying to protect that person or myself was sharing certain parts yeah. of me. When I had the space and I took a couple of years with, I was like, I'm not, I'm just need to get back in my own consciousness juices, grounding. But when I met Michael in the, that day, year of dating, I was so unattached to any one date being anything. I say to women, just show up and just have an yeah. experience. Just be who you are and just be like, and who are you? Like, just be real. Yeah. Like, you're not going to burn a bridge by being real. You're not going to, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And that's the only way you're going to find out who's truly aligned with your heart. So when Michael and these dating sites, yeah. I met him on a dating site, you have this tiny paragraph of like 50 yeah. words to describe yourself, which is, a, by the way, great exercise, everyone who's listening. If you're going to put in terms of really attuning yeah. to the truth of who you are. So I put it and in our early discussions just on the phone, because we lived in a different state. He said, wow, you really want a lot in a man. I said, yeah, yeah I do. And he said. Good. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, game's on. <laughs> All right, I can talk to you again next week, tomorrow. Oh, cool. Five minutes. So, yeah, it's a long answer to your 100%. I didn't hold anything back. And then there's just so much stuff that we either haven't really investigated within our own desires yeah. or vision or that we have shame around yeah. or like, or fear around. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say what's on my mind and on my heart. And if he judges me or doesn't get it or doesn't want it, so be Do it. Do you think that relationship... I mean, we can all tolerate a moment of just... Was that mm -hmm. relationship with Michael the first time you feel like you had done that as wholeheartedly as you did with him? Like, did you take more risks? So think about, you know, we talk about the onions. Yes. Like, I mean, listen, all these people in my own life, the six loves yeah. that I talked about, if you, they know who I am. Yeah. I wasn't a complete imposter. I mean, they know who I am, the spirit of who I am. But I kept peeling yeah. more and more the layers of my own life experience within myself. Became it, they, I allowed them to reveal themselves to myself, yeah. to experience them in a new way, to embrace them and to integrate them. A lot of times we'll split off the good and yeah. bad or the stuff that we're proud of or the stuff that we judge. You know, we all mm -hmm. do this. But the more I started, that's when I talk about holistic health. It is about having everything integrated, yeah. right? So the more I did that for myself, the more I was able to share it with Michael. And by the way, it yes. goes both ways because like in, in year four, we had to confront some shadow stuff. Like when we talk about shadow, we talk about that's when we're both off the pedestal, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. It's like, yeah. okay. And I had to confront my own willingness and ability and desire yeah. To love all yes. of him. So tricky. Because of the, and we don't have yeah. to, by the way. But if we love someone that much, we get to, it can be a little messy yeah. there for a while. But boy, when we exhale from it and we can walk over that bridge together yeah. and we get to, we see the forest of the trees and we get to the other side, it's a much yeah. richer, deeper. And yeah. trust. I had that yeah. experience in my marriage when. My husband, Boyd, his father died unexpectedly, and that kind of took him to his knees and helped him to discover a whole new side of himself. And then it led to this whole career crisis. 
which is wonderful now because he's doing what he's meant to do and he has his own company and everything's fine. But in that period of time, I was so reflective about this fact that I kept wanting Boyd to be emotionally available. That was my big line when we were young, newly married and younger. Well, you just, you need to be more open with me emotionally. And then to see his raw emotion and to really be confronted with a man's vulnerability. I was shocked Mm -hmm. at how scared that made me, how much I had bought into him being on a horse and going and slaying Mm -hmm. a dragon for me and taking care of me. I mean, the whole thing was so shocking. And thankfully, we had a wonderful therapist at that time who guided us through all that. But the amount of shame that I felt about my own things I had done to him, how to keep him in a little box. And even though I say I want the truth and I want a vulnerable man, it's like to really sit with the vulnerability in your partner. And then we can get into culture and men and women and all that, that we don't have time for. But, you know, to really sit with a man's vulnerability and what that means, it's really humbling, you know, and we're all guilty of it. Whether you do it to your partner, whether they're same sex partners or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. But yeah, it takes courage to do that. And to what you said, it really took a lot of trust for each of us to break down what we had projected onto the other person and decide that we got to rebuild this thing. We got to frame it up in a different way. Yeah. I mean, look, parent child love is just innately unconditional, right? Most of the time. That doesn't mean that people don't have to set boundaries with their children and their parents sometimes when things are just not healthy enough to be able to stay in a ring and that the way that everybody really wants to deep down. But when it comes to love, romantic love and friendship, there are requirements, right? There's just requirements. But when you get to a level of you've gotten through most of the like the non-negotiable requirements and then it gets down to loving what is, as Byron Katie would say, and loving someone that much that you actually, it does become unconditional. I mean, again, I saw my folks, the 74-year mayor, I mean, they had tricky times Mm -hmm. midway, right? Where I think for a minute, there was a question, at least on one side. But boy, I mean, they started off a foundational, trusting their instincts. They happened to have been right. They trusted their heart. They happened to have been right. But then they stayed in the ring. They stayed oh. in the room. And those last 25 years, they, they both passed in 94 and 97. They were thick as thieves. They were, they had reached 100% unconditional yeah. love. No question. And like, but here's the thing. Back to your yeah. original thing. Not everyone's going to have yeah. that in this lifetime. Yeah. Not everyone's going to experience that. And the truth is, And by the way, even when we do, one person's going to pass before the other and we still have to survive and hopefully still figure out a way to thrive. And that's when it comes back to connection to our own heart and our own self-acknowledgement of the miracle that we really are, each human, and the connection to the divine, which is not connected to a personality or a timeline or a structure or anyone that we might live under the same roof with, right? It's to bring us to a place of still comfort and assurance and feeling more full, even though there might be things that we still want on this earth plane. So at the end of the day, when we talk about love, 
that really is the inner, that's the source yeah. of, of all of it. And it's where we begin and where we need to yeah. end as we let go of so much along Do the way. Do you feel at this point in your life, you can say, I love myself with all that you've learned about love, with all that the love that has been reflected back to you of the love that you've been able to receive. Can you say that? I can say that. Yeah. And as a human, I just want to normalize the fact that the good news is, yes, I can yeah. say that. I have had some sort of visceral experiences. It takes visceral yeah. experience, by the way. Love just aren't yeah. words, right? Love, Like when you are in a loving relationship or friendship or with family or friends or intimate relationship, you are experiencing yes. that love in every cell of your body. I will say that I don't think we can talk ourselves into loving yeah. ourselves. I don't, however... I know that in my own life, I had to go deep to have the experience of visceral, palpable love. Yeah. Like I remember being in a meditation and a four-day silent meditation retreat. I didn't see this coming, but it was, again, that period of time where I ended the marriage and I was in this zone where I had yeah. space and I was very open. And oh boy, I went into a recognition of self-compassion because yeah. I've lived my life compassionate for others. Not all the sure. time with everyone, but you know, a lot of the time, but oh my gosh, I was having a relationship yeah. with myself and talking to myself and seeing what I went through and being like, oh honey, like, like I actually yeah. felt it. And I came out of that going and I'm tears and I'm like, oh my God, I've never experienced yeah. that before in that way. So I do feel like in order to get to a loving place with a real like visceral loving place, we have to have some quiet yeah. time to connect. Yeah. To the, we have to have ritual. We have to be able to want it and give it to give that yeah. time to ourselves to reach those that inner yeah. knowing and connectivity with the truth of our heart. It's you know? so true. And maybe we can end on that yeah. because it feels practical to me that this big notion of self-love can feel so enormous. It, it can feel enormous and it can also feel slippery. Like, what is it? It can feel like it gets too sentimental or too new age or, you know, fill in the too whatever, fill in the blank. And I think when you break it down to self-compassion, like you mentioned, and I've had experiences of self-acceptance, to me, those yes. practices, they need time, they need space, they need stillness. It's very hard to accept your flaws and your mistakes and your humanity on the fly. You know, you make a mistake or you say yeah. something or you hurt someone's feelings or you don't perform at your job or you can't connect with your spouse or you can't connect with your teenager, whatever it is. It's hard to just keep moving through your day and expect to recover from that. And I think what happens over time is there's so yeah. many moments like that. You lose touch with yourself. So I'm like you. Yes. It's the pause. For me, it's the mm -hmm. pause and mm -hmm. hand on the heart and mm -hmm. the deep breath and saying, yeah. What would my friends say right now? Or if you have a connection with the divine or God or nature, like being in the presence of that energy and saying, I'm still lovable, even with all this yes, mistake, right. this flaw, this humiliating thing I did, I'm still lovable. Yes. So I think that's a wonderful way to invite the people listening that part of love is really moving at a slower pace to let love in, to be able to receive it is a choice. That's and I right. think choices move yes. much 
more intentionally and slowly than instinct. And I think we're taught growing up, oh, you'll have it. You're a princess. You'll be saved by the prince or the guy on the horse or whoever. And so it's pitched to us as this instinct. It's natural. It's, but the reality of it's a choice and it's a day to day practice. That's right. It's a choice to pay attention to ourselves like we are with everybody else. And it's, I love the fact that you brought up hands on the heart and breath because literally yesterday I had a private session with a mom who was being really hard on herself for losing her way with her daughter. And we literally talked about, and it wasn't like this was premeditated. It was off the cuff, but these are not things that haven't been talked about before, of course. But it was literally, like you just said, it was first having a physical doing something physical with yourself. So it was hands yeah. on the heart. And then it was feet on the floor, feel yes, your feet on the that. floor, getting grounded. And then it was a breath, one breath, two breaths, three breaths into the belly and holding and releasing slowly on the out breath twice as long, which calms the nervous system pretty much yeah. immediately. And the last thing was a word yeah. or a saying that We express our love through words so often with other people. How about back to ourselves? So hers was, who was bringing, taking a breath in, and it was like, chill, chill, but not from a place of demand, but just an invitation. Mine, when I'm in the the middle of the night, if I have a disturbing Mm -hmm. dream or something, I will say literally to myself, and I say to everyone, if you like this, it's yours too, or add to it, or edit it, or make it your own. I am loved. I am guided. I am protected. I am connected. Mm. I am loved. I am guided. And I'm and I'm asleep. Yeah. I'm asleep in like a minute. Right. So we all find our ways detouring from this, this acknowledgement yeah. of the beauty of who we are and the full acceptance of our human experience, which is full of mistakes, as Michael yes. Beck would say, right? And then learn and then learning yeah. from them and coming back in the fold. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Marcy, thank you so much for sharing with us. I'm going to add all the ways that people can find you in these notes, in the the episode okay. notes. And I just encourage people to check out Marcy's work. And I so appreciate how generous you are with your lessons. And as I said in the beginning, I just feel like you embody love. When I hear the word love, when I think of leaders of love, you are a person who comes to mind. So I appreciate you. And I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed now in an even more significant way because I have two kids who drive. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know, Paige. Really, thank you so much as well, honey. And remember that concept in staying in the zone of self-love that when we see something in another, it reflects back the truth of who we are because we couldn't recognize it in another if we didn't have it within our own consciousness and our own heart. So right back at you. Thank you for who you are and all that you bring to the world and everyone you touch. And I specifically have kept my, I'm tracking you too, girl. I am (laughs) tracking you too. And I look for, I mean, this was such a rich conversation. We could go on and on for a day because there's so much here, but I love that you're talking about love and inviting me into the conversation and let it be and let it continue on and on and on, right? No end to this conversation or this experience in life. I so appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right. Same Bye-bye. Thing. Thank you so much. This conversation with Marcy reminded me of so many things that I believe to be true. And I want to share with y'all my top three. First, when you love what you love and you commit to showing up as you are, you become an expression of love that positively impacts the people around you. 
and you may not ever know how much your presence has impacted your community. In fact, I don't think we could ever know how far reaching just us being our true and loving selves can go. I find that to be so motivating. It's a real reason to keep showing up and to simplify your efforts. It's you being you. It's you aligning with love that matters most. It is that simple. Secondly, when you're in a dark night, Marcy references a tunnel and you're suffering, you focus on getting through it. You know, on the other side of that pain, you can make the most of your life with all the limitations and heartaches that come with it by reflecting on how love was being expressed in some way along the way the whole time. Even in the dark parts, if you can engage love or intend to engage love, that giving of love comes back to you. In the giving, you receive. And finally, self-love is a felt sense that we can experience when we're connected to the truth of who we are. And to have that experience, we need to be quiet and take time and slow down to actually feel connected to oneself. We have to want to meet ourselves with loving compassion and acceptance. And as we want it, we choose it. Thank you, Marcy. I have got such big love for you. And I know when you receive it, it will activate an even bigger love that you will give. And that is inspiring. Thank you all for being here. I hope this conversation opened your heart a little bit wider today and you have the courage to keep it open and receive the love that is always there for you. Thanks to each of you for being here and for listening. I'm so grateful we get to share life in this way. As always, full show notes are available at pagenolan.com forward slash podcast. There you will find a full summary of the episode, timestamps and key takeaways and any resources mentioned in our conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love if you would leave me a rating and a review. You can do that by visiting pagenolan.com forward slash love. Your reviews really do help people to discover the show. And if you know someone specifically who would enjoy this episode, I'm so grateful to have you all share. I'll meet you there with your friends. Lastly, if you have any questions or comments, or if you would like to share any feedback with me, please email to there at pagenolan.com. I would love to hear from you. Thank you to the team that makes this show possible. Podcast production and marketing by North Node Podcast Network. Music by Boyd McDonald. Cover photography by Innes Casey. Okay, y'all, that's it for now. I'll meet you there again soon. Thank you.